0: ShareCare is the leading online health and
1: wellness engagement platform providing millions of consumers with a personal, results-oriented experience by connecting them to the most qualified health resources and programs they need
0: to improve their health. It's time now for ShareCare Radio on RadioMD.com. Here's your host,
1: Dr. Daria.
0: Hi, this is Dr. Daria with Share Care Radio. Smoking remains one of the leading causes of death in the United States. So today, in honor of it being the American Cancer Society's Great American Smokeout, this coming Thursday, I have with me Dr. David Satcher. He is the former Surgeon General of the United States. He's former Director of the CDC and former Assistant Secretary for Health from the Department of Health and Human Services. Dr. Satcher, thank you so, so very much for joining us today. I want you to tell all of our listeners what inspired you in the first place to get into this extensive public service career you've had.
1: Well, it actually goes way back to a, a farm about 100 miles, 90 to 100 miles from here, in Anderson, Alabama, where um, I became very ill with whooping cough and pneumonia, and uh, it was very difficult to access care. In fact, the only hospital in Anniston was segregated. Uh, not just in, when I say segregated, not just in terms of where people were put, but many of them did not admit, and certainly did not allow black physicians to admit. So, the one black physician in Anniston, Dr. Jackson, uh, agreed to come out to the farm and see me, uh, and he spent his whole off day there, uh, which is amazing. But uh, when he left, he told my parents he didn't ex- expect me to survive the week. Uh, but he also took the time to show them what to do to give me the best chance of survival. And they must have done a good job, of course, because here I am. <laughs> but my mother told me that story almost every day. So by the time I was five years old, the one thing I wanted to do was to meet Dr. Jackson. Uh-huh. And they so they promised me that. For my sixth birthday, they were going to take me to town to meet Dr. Jackson. I was excited. Uh, I never met him. He died that year at age 54 of a stroke. And uh, But then, by the time I was six, I was telling everybody I was going to be a doctor like Dr. Jackson. And um, I always had in my mind that I wanted to make a difference for people who are often left out of the system. I think that's been a major motivating factor in my life and career, regardless of whether I was, you know, in medical school or residency training at Case Western or Rochester whether I was Surgeon General. The major motivating force in my career has been the experience that not only I had, but all of those children who died in those situations.
0: In one case, Dr. Jackson, think of all the lives that he has saved in in helping save your own. Now, in your first year as Surgeon General, you decided to tackle a, a thorny issue, and that was smoking, with the Surgeon General's report, which was tobacco use among U.S. racial and ethnic minority groups. How did you decide to tackle that?
1: Well, uh, I had been director of the CDC, and as you know, the CDC runs the Office of Smoking and Health. And so I was very aware of the problem with smoking, the fact that it, it was still, and still is, the leading preventable cause of death in this country. In fact, when I became Surgeon General, 43% of the American people were smokers. 43%. Uh, and, uh, and that, that was, uh, that was, a decrease from what it was when uh, Luther Terry had released his report. So smoking was still the leading cause of death in this country uh, when I became, and still is today, the leading cause of death in the country. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing was that after after Surgeon General Luther Terry released the first ever report on smoking and health, Congress later passed legislation asking that every year the Surgeon General, General, whoever that was at the time, would do a report on smoking and health. So it is now, it has been a mandate from Congress that we will follow Dr. Terry's report with a report on smoking and health.
0: And Dr. Luther Terry that you mentioned, last year was the 50th anniversary of that report, correct?
1: Yes, uh, probably the most important report that's ever been done in public health. Uh, it's interesting. I like to tell a story about Dr. Terry, who himself was a smoker, by the way. He was a cardiologist at NIH and, and he was a smoker. So uh, when he was on the way to the press conference to release this very important report, um, his assistant uh, asked him, "What, well, Dr. Terry, uh, support. what are you going to say if they ask you if you smoke? And Dr. Terry said, oh, they wouldn't ask me that. Why would they ask me a question like that? That's irrelevant. So he went on to the press conference. Did an outstanding job of releasing the report. First question, Dr. Terry, do you smoke? He said, no, no, I don't. Uh, the press in Washington, of course, does this homework. So they said, well, Dr. Terry, when did you quit? And he said, I quit 30 minutes ago.
0: <laughs> and he
1: never smoked again, never smoked again. He walked around with a lapel pin saying, thank you for not smoking.
0: Good for him.
1: Not everybody can quit like that, but he did.
0: He, we all could benefit from that's pushes right. like that at times. That's right. That's exactly. Now, how has you? You said the forty-three percent were smoking when you released this report. I, no, I
1: should have said it when Dr. Terry released. We released his Dr. Report, Terry. Okay. Forty-three percent.
0: Since the report was released, when you were a Surgeon General, what are the numbers now? You know, what percentage still smoke, and what's the health impact?
1: The last study showed that eight, only eighteen percent. I shouldn't say only because that's far too many but uh, the the percentage of Americans who smoke has decreased from that 43% now to 18%. But now 20 million Americans have died from smoking since 1964, 50 years ago, uh, because uh, smoking takes its toll. Mm -hmm. People die from lung cancer, they die from cardiovascular disease, and we're learning more and more about all the things that smoking does. It can can cause colorectal cancer, hepatocellular, liver cancer. Uh, Every year we find out more and more things that smoking does to the body. Certainly chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, lung disease. All of these things are caused by smoking. If we could get people to stop smoking, we could dramatically reduce the uh, death rates in this country. Dramatically. Uh, By 70 percent, we could reduce death rates if, in fact, we could get all of the Americans to stop smoking.
0: 70%, 70% reduction in death rates. That's amazing because you're right, 18% may not seem like a lot, but when you think over a population of 350 million people with something like smoking that has such direct ties to, to death rates and other health conditions.
1: Well, that, that's and, uh, over 40 million Americans who are smoking today. In, and, and, you know, too many of our children are smoking.
0: That's true, and that's an int- uh, the youth tobacco issue is even a separate one, but you have said before that 75% of people who smoke want to quit, but only 2 to 3% quit per year. What is to account for that disparity?
1: And that was true when I was in office. I like to think it's a little better now, but not, not that much better. Um, over 70% of people who smoke would like to, to smoke, and like yet, to uh, you know, less than 10% of them are successful every year in quitting and uh, so I think the challenge that we face now and we're we're moving aggressively in that direction is to is to help people to quit smoking Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's like the the question of when is the best time to plant a tree and and, uh, the neighbor said what 20 years ago and (laughs) the the next best time is now Mm -hmm. so if we could get more Americans to quit smoking now the difference it would make would be amazing
0: What needs to be done?
1: Well, I think there are about five things that we're really pushing. First, of course, is education. Every child uh, in school, in home, should learn about the dangers of smoking. And then we, we have to somehow uh, support people who want to quit smoking. Uh, teen, I don't know if people are aware of it, but um, 90% of people who smoke, for the most part, Begin smoking before they're old enough to legally purchase tobacco, mm-hmm. before they're 18 years of age, uh, and so they, they become addicted uh, by the time that they are adults, mm-hmm. and that addiction is a very strong one, mm-hmm. very strong one. So the best thing to do is not to start. But if you do smoke, the time to quit is now. Mm-hmm. And we, but we're doing a lot to help people quitting, quit smoking. We, uh, we have smoking cessation programs. We also have some very important policies, and this is probably the best example of the difference that policy can make in health outcomes. The fact of the matter is that when California in 1987 passed legislation uh, forbidding smoking in public places, a lot of people were up in arms. But when I released the Surgeon General's report on women and smoking, uh, 13 years later, California was the only state in the union where lung cancer death among women was not increasing. It was the only only state the country at that time. So the difference it had made to have a policy uh, that you can't smoke in public places, now it was not just uh, the exposure to the smoke that led to the reduction in death. It was the fact that many people living in a state where the policies were against smoking decided not to smoke. Mm-hmm. They decided not to start smoking. It sent a message that this is serious business.
0: Okay. So but it, it, I like the huge emphasis on getting them to stop before they ever start, and that involves working with our youth.
1: Every day in this country, uh, about 3,500 teenagers become smokers, and over 2,000 of them will become addicted.
0: So what can we tell our audience if they have children at home or teens at home or teens in their lives, how can they play that integral role to stop that child or teen from ever smoking?
1: Well, you know, obviously use the authority, but that doesn't always work. I'm a parent, so I know that. Uh, but uh, education, really uh, educating people early about the dangers of smoking and being a good role model. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when parents smoke, it dramatically increases the risk that the children will smoke but it also provides a major health hazard for children mm-hmm. you know asthma can be brought on by being exposed to smoke uh, all kinds of health problems in children mm-hmm. from being exposed to secondhand smoke yes
0: yeah, so so, we see that in the ER
1: exactly so you know if parents love their children they certainly will do everything they can to quit smoking or not to smoke at all uh, more and more cities have ordinances uh, not allowing smoking in public places. Atlanta last year I believe passed legislation against smoking in the public parks. CDC a long time ago um, forbid smoking on the grounds of the institute and a lot of places are doing that. Yeah.
0: Are there any specific resources you like if any of our audience are struggling themselves and they're part of that 75 percent that wants to quit? Where can they go to find that to help them?
1: Well there's a quit line Uh, The American Cancer Society sponsors a quit line and there are other quit lines that I would recommend that you go to. But also your primary care physician. Uh, We now really try to get every physician to do uh, four or five things. Number one, ask the patient if if he or she smokes. Uh, Number number two, uh, assist them if they smoke in terms of getting help or providing that help assess the magnitude of that and follow through uh, and even arrange for them to go uh... to get help but i think we are really pushing positions uh, and by the way when the Luke to terry's report came out sixty percent of physicians were smokers mm-hmm. six zero
0: well the old uh, JAMA, right. New England Journal of Medicine, JAMA magazines had a, a doctor yeah. smoking on the back of the That's cover right. how times have changed but
1: today it's three percent or less so Shouldn't be any. physicians mm-hmm. got the message and nurses got the message, too, about it. But I do think now parents should seek help if they smoke so they can quit smoking. Should make sure the children understand the dangers of smoking and do everything they can if a child has started smoking. And a lot of teenagers, of course, begin to smoke uh, because it's a social thing to do. But uh, this is the most addictive substance known to man, nicotine. Very addictive substance. Now you may ask me, so if it's addictive, why is it legal? That I can't answer.
0: Oh, really?
1: I can't answer that.
0: Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting way to look at it that way. But it's also important, that's why I tell even my patients, it is is such an addictive substance, get help. That's right. And you know, if you want to try quit smoking to give yourself the biggest chance of success with cessation programs and support oh, yeah. and all of that to set yourself yeah. up to. And there are a lot vaccine. of very
1: good programs there now. Are. They're really great programs, uh, drugs, mm-hmm. uh, Zypan and others, mm-hmm. uh, nicotine patches, uh, nicotine, nicotine reduction programs, uh, as successful as mm-hmm. between 35 and 60 percent yeah. in one year. These programs, so a lot of ways to get help
0: can drastically improve, and a lot of people can get uh, options through their employers. So always check there as well.
1: Yeah, and and you know I want to say in case any of you are employers, it's one of the best investments that employers can make. Uh, Johnson and Johnson saved over 100 million dollars on the health bill of its employees by reducing smoking from 20 percent to 4 percent. There were other things too, like weight loss and. But, uh, these prevention programs are cost effective. Right. You know, they, they make a difference uh, in the bottom line because especially if a company is paying for the healthcare of its employees, it's one of the best investments they can make.
0: One of those where you, the company's saving money and most importantly, they're getting their employees healthier as well. I want to segue a little bit. We've, sp- you spoke also on, on weight loss and the obesity epidemic. And we have movies like Supersize Me and discussions of obesity, yet, the rates of obesity are rising in our country. What do we do? How can we nip that epidemic?
1: Well, I think we're headed in the right direction. Um, I, I released the, the first ever Surgeon General's report on overweight and obesity in 2001, December 2001. I'll never forget it. Because Paul Ambrose, who died on 9-11, mm-hmm. he came to work with me to put together the obesity report. So he, was, he provided the leading edge on that and was headed to Los Angeles for a childhood obesity program that day when he was killed. But anyway, I don't want to dwell on that, but I remember so well. Mm-hmm. We, ha- we have made some progress, I want to make that very clear. Mm-hmm. CDC studies show, and this is a positive because there's negative, uh, under five years of age, we're seeing a reduction in childhood obesity. Yeah, yeah. to 17 years of age, we're seeing a plateauing. Mm-hmm. So it's not going up in that age group. It's still going up in adults. Mm-hmm. I think it's 36% now of adults, men and women who are, who are, who would be classified as obese. And which means, um, in our lingo, it's a BMI, body mass in, index of more than 25. And, you know, it's a matter of looking at height and weight and stuff like that. Um, so it's a, it's a major problem, but there are signs of progress. Georgia, and I serve on the Governor's uh, Shape Commission, Georgia was number, was in the top five for childhood obesity when this started. And now I think we're around 20, 21, still too high. But I think there's hope here. I think if we can get the American people engaged in regular programs of physical activity and paying attention to what they eat, reducing fats and calories, and uh, I, ha- I happen to have the Surgeon General's prescription If anybody wants one mm-hmm. or, or you can go online to the, to my Facebook or Satchel Leadership Institute you know the first thing on this prescription physical activity at least five days a week at least 30 minutes a day mm-hmm. and, and I follow this religiously
0: and for all of our radio <laughs> listeners this is a prescription for health
1: this is a prescription for health um, which I first released in 1999 mm-hmm. Uh, President Clinton had asked me to represent the United States on a global health promotion disease prevention conference in Hermosillo, Mexico, I believe. And uh, I had started working on this when I was director of the CDC. Uh, And we decided, since I would have only five minutes to speak, that we would pass out this prescription. And the response was so positive from people all over the world until we started distributing it. So I recommend it. It's not just about physical activity, it's about nutrition, especially fruits and vegetable consumption. It's about smoking cessation. It's about responsible sexual behavior. And very importantly, it's about managing stress. Mm -hmm. If you don't manage stress, it will manage you. You can take that to the bank. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who don't manage stress, so they overeat, they overdrink, they smoke. The way to manage stress is to get a physical activity program, get the right relationships in your life, and to pay attention to that, to how you in fact are dealing with stress.
0: Wonderful, and you're right. Again, everything goes in full circle: stress, activity, nutrition. The more you do the things that are good for you, the better you feel.
1: Oh, exactly. And it goes in a virtuous very cycle. Very important, very important point. You actually, and that's why I'm convinced that healthy behavior is addicting. Now, you, you know, when we use addiction, we it's always negative, right? where well, I'm going to turn the tables, if you start a physical activity program, it becomes addictive after a period of time, and you don't feel right unless you get out and walk or get out and jog or whatever it is you do, uh, go to the gym. If you stick with it long enough, it becomes easier and easier to do, and in time, it actually becomes addicting. Any of you had that experience? Oh, okay, yeah.
0: You're right, and then Mm -hmm. it's the good, healthy behaviors that have the addiction. Dr. Satcher, this has been wonderful. Again, where can people find that prescription?
1: Well, they can find it on my Facebook, Okay. or they can find it on the website for the Satcher Health Leadership Institute, SHLI slash MSM. MSM is Morehouse School of Medicine.
0: Wonderful. Dr. Satcher, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, and stay well.